Well, uh, 2014 uh, was a very, very bad year for Molly and me. Uh, it was my last year of seminary, uh, which should have been a time of great joy, uh, accomplishment, uh, fulfillment, and hope for the future. Uh, but instead, it felt like the walls were, were crashing in on us. Uh, first, there was the law firm that I was a part of. Uh, it was falling apart, essentially. It was collapsing, and I hadn't taken a paycheck in about 18 months, uh, which is very difficult on a family. We had, we had blown through uh, all of our savings that we had, and we had already started to eat into uh, our uh, retirement accounts. Uh, Molly was looking for work, and there was no work available. She even applied for jobs as a dog walker and, and couldn't seem to get a job walking a dog. Uh, apparently, you have to have different qualifications than Molly had. <laughs> but having no money uh, and having lots of debt is a terrifying way to live. Now, on top of that, uh, at work, I had missed an important deadline in a case that uh, my firm was handling, uh, and there was a real chance that we could be sued for malpractice. Uh, I knew my legal career was ending, but this was not how I envisioned it going down. I wanted it to end well. I was applying for pastoral positions as a, a soon-to-be graduate of seminary, uh, but it seemed like I was every church's second choice, which is, you might as well be the hundredth choice, right? There's only one winner. Uh, but uh, I had had two offers, but, but neither one was the right fit, and, and we knew that in time. And it seemed that there weren't very many churches who were interested in a 49-year-old first-time pastor with no experience. Uh, so uh, that was difficult. And then the final... Uh, and crushing straw, uh, the last paper that I turned in in my entire seminary career, uh, handed it in, and uh, you know, Molly and I rejoiced uh, over seminary experience being done. And then a couple days later, uh, my professor left me a voicemail saying that I had uh, improperly sorted uh, or, or cited my sources, and that under seminary guidelines, that was plagiarism, and he had to give me an F on the paper, an F in the class, and refer me on to the Dean of Students for further proceedings. Well, my heart nearly stopped. Uh, I thought I was gonna die, uh, literally, with everything else that was going on. And, and uh, I, I remember sitting in my office, reading or uh, listening to this voicemail, and just calling out to Molly, Molly, just, uh, I, I, I could not believe uh, what was happening. Uh, and uh, I had an emotional meltdown. Uh, and that day started me on a path of uh, 10 months of deep, dark anxiety and depression that I thought I was never going to get over, that I was never going to come out of. And I tell you this story because in many ways I was a lot like the disciples uh, in our passage today that we're going to be looking at. And I imagine uh, a lot like uh, these, these, these parents, the, the, these people uh, who were waking up in Allen, Texas this morning without uh, their loved ones uh, who were senselessly killed uh, yesterday, uh, crying out to God, uh, God, don't you care? Don't you care that we are perishing? This is a question, but it doubles as an accusation, doesn't it? It's an accusation of God uh, or against God. Lord, if you can do something uh, about my condition, if you can do something about my circumstances, why don't you? Uh, in my case, Lord, why did you make me sell my house, uh, sell my, or, you know, leave my law firm, move my family down to Texas just to have me fall on my face here, uh, not be able to, uh, uh, to fulfill the calling on my life that, that I thought uh, you were making? I questioned God's power. I questioned his goodness. I questioned his love. 
And my guess is that many of you have gone through the same kinds of experiences. In our despair, we ask God, don't you care? God, don't you care? Well, we've just completed uh, these four parables in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4. Uh, we looked at the parable of the soils, the parable of the lamp, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. And Jesus told all four of those parables to describe some aspect of what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, and Jesus was an excellent teacher. He taught through using stories from everyday life that his disciples could understand. But he also taught through miracles. And today we're starting out uh, like a mini-series of looking at four miracles that are, we're going to study over the next three weeks. And in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus show his power over nature, a calming the sea, proving that he had the authority to speak about the kingdom of God, and then backing up his words with his amazing works. So when we're having hard times, when God seems distant, when he's allowing us to suffer, when he allows tragedies like we saw in Allen, Texas yesterday, uh, we need passages like this uh, to remind us that, that, that God is all-powerful. He is full of love and full of mercy and full of grace. He does care. We need to be reminded of this. And, you know, he can stop evil whenever he wants. He can end whatever trouble you're going through, whatever he wants, uh, in the blink of an eye. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he chooses not to for reasons that are his own, that we may never understand. Sometimes we understand after the fact that it was because he was trying to grow us in faith, grow us into uh, something greater uh, in our sanctification, to teach us to depend on him and him only. Uh, he's trying to move us from, don't you care, right? Don't you care, which, as Jesus says in this passage, is no faith, to uh, uh, him saying, to the disciple saying, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Which is a questioning faith, a growing faith, uh, to Lord, I trust you, which is a mature faith. That's where he's trying to bring us, from no faith to growing faith to mature faith. That is often the reason why we go through uh, certain difficulties. So let's read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Verse uh, 35 of chapter 4. Uh, on that day, when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. It became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's talk about the setting of the story first. Uh, remember that Jesus told the four parables near Capernaum, which is that upper part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and after he finished teaching, he wanted to go to the other side. So the other side is that, that red line could have been thicker. Uh, but he's trying to go from Capernaum all the way to the other side, the south, uh, western, uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is called the region of the Gerasenes or the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. This is Gentile country where Jesus wants to go. Now, why would Jesus want to go there? 
Well, earlier he said, uh, let us go to the other cities, for I must preach the gospel there as well, for this is why I came. And so the other cities included these Gentile cities, which would have surprised his disciples. But when you think about it, how much more hostile could these Gentiles have been to his own people, the scribes and Pharisees, and even his own family, uh, who had proven to be not followers so far? So they took Jesus, uh, that's a panorama of the Sea of Galilee, uh, just a big lake, really. Uh, They took Jesus just as he was. I'm missing a slide in here. Uh, Just as he was. And that probably means uh, he got into the boat tired and hungry from a long day of teaching, just as he was. Now, take a second to think about that phrase. Uh, You know, Matthew and Luke don't include that phrase in in their version of uh, this story. Only Mark does. And I have to admit personally that I never even noticed it until uh, I had studied this passage for preaching uh, this week. Uh, You know, I had never seen it. I don't know how many times I've read the book of Mark, but I did not notice it. But it it made me think uh, about the world not wanting Jesus just as he is, uh, but wanting Jesus just as they want him to be, right? That is often how the world wants Jesus, just as they want him to be. So they may accept him as a good man, or a good teacher, uh, but they don't accept him as Lord of their lives. Uh, and they, they, they may accept a, a, a happily a loving Jesus, but they don't want his other attributes like his holiness and his justice. So they don't want a God who has the right to rule and reign over their lives. And so they invent a, a false, a made-up version of Jesus that suits their imagination because they don't want to change their behavior. Uh, they also don't want to believe that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to heaven but through me. They don't like that kind of teaching. But at the cross, Jesus proved his love for us while satisfying God's holiness and justice by taking the punishment uh, that we deserve for our sins. So when we come to Jesus, we have to receive him just as he is, not how we may imagine him to be, not how we may want him to be. Uh, He is God, holy, loving, and just. Uh, and we get credit for Jesus' death on our behalf when we, when we believe in Jesus, uh, by repenting of Jesus, uh, by repenting of our sins and believing in him just as he is. And sometimes we don't like that God because sometimes he allows things like what happened in Alan yesterday. And sometimes he allows things to happen in your lives and my life that we can't understand. And yet, Uh, This is how Jesus presents himself. I am God. My ways are higher than your ways. Uh, You may not be able to understand them, but I am God, and you get to heaven through me. And this is Jesus, just as he is. Now back to the setting. Mark says that there were other boats uh, following too. Uh, Now, Matthew and Luke don't record that detail, uh, and Mark never revisits it. We never hear anything else about the other boats. Uh, But we can gather from the presence of the other boats that Jesus had quite a following at this time. He was famous. Uh, And so most followers were still motivated by what they could get from Jesus, uh, the healings and uh, and whatever else he might do for them. Uh, They weren't really motivated, I don't think at this point, by by who he is, the person of Jesus as God. But still, uh, I do give them credit for at least following Jesus into what they would have perceived as Gentile and hostile territory. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as I said, is is seven miles by 13 miles wide. It's not that big. It's really uh, just a big lake. 
Uh, but what's interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 690 feet below sea level. And because it's got hills and valleys all around it, it's almost like a, a perfect setting uh, for these violent and sudden squalls that arise uh, on this sea. Now, I haven't seen one. I've been there to Israel twice. I haven't seen one of these storms yet. Uh, when you go there on a beautiful day and, and sail on the Sea of Galilee, uh, it is really hard to imagine uh, that, that this is the kind of lake that, that could uh, you know, rise up so much so that there are, are shipwrecks on this lake, that people could actually die on this lake. But, but we also have to realize that the, they didn't have modern boats either. So this is what a first century boat looked like. Uh, this particular boat was recovered uh, in the Sea of Galilee uh, near the shore uh, on a particularly dry season. Uh, they found uh, this boat sticking out of the mud and they were able to recover it and it's now stored in a museum by the Sea of Galilee. But you can see that it's not much bigger than a canoe, right? It, it's not a very big boat at all. Uh, and so once they got in this boat, the disciples and Jesus, uh, they sailed on their way and then a fierce gale arose. The waves were crashing over the boat. Uh, the boat was filling with water and starting to sink. Now, incredibly, Jesus slept through the storm, the rain pelting them, the boat rising and crashing on the waves, the, the boat filling up with water. I wish one night I could sleep that well. That would be unbelievable. But do you think that storm surprised Jesus? No, of course not. Jesus knew the storm was coming. Jesus ordained that the storm would come because he wanted to use it as a teaching lesson for his disciples. And the irony of the story is that you have all these seasoned, experienced fishermen who've spent their entire lives on this lake. They're in a panic, and you have this carpenter who's a landlubber, right? He works on land, and he's asleep in the stern of the boat during this life-threatening storm without a care in the world. And what do you think the people in the other boats were doing, right, that, that are mentioned in Mark? I imagine they all thought that they were about to perish as well. So the disciples were helpless, and they were afraid, and so they woke Jesus, and they asked Jesus a bad question. When they woke, they said, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? That's a bad question, isn't it? It's an accusation in reality. Their, their, their accusation is that, Jesus, you are indifferent, you are apathetic, you don't care whether we live or die. And that includes you, Jesus. If we go down, you're going down too. Don't you care? Well, <clears throat> that is really a scathing question when you think about it. You know, Jesus had not yet died for their sins and risen from the dead. Uh, they had no understanding of the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement as of, as of now, right? It's way too early for that. But uh, what they had seen so far should have been enough to tell them uh, that, that Jesus was not indifferent or apathetic. Since the Gospel of Mark began, he's been casting out demons, healing people, preaching the good news. Uh, that's all he's done so far. Uh, so he does care. Uh, and yet, as you see here, all they can manage is to call him teacher. Isn't that something? Teacher. Don't you care that we are perishing? Already in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen uh, demons fall down and call him the Holy One of God or the Son of God. Uh, Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath, and yet all the disciples can manage is teacher. Uh, and so uh, they don't have an understanding of who he is, and therefore they don't trust him because they don't yet know who he is. Now, in fairness to the disciples, uh, you know, we often look at the storms of our lives and have the same reaction. We ask the same questions. Uh, Jesus, don't you care? Uh, in 2014, I was showing the same kind of distrust. I questioned God's love for me and whether he cared that my family was perishing. 
I imagine there are some families waking up in Allen, Texas this morning asking the same question, don't you care? And it's easy to fall into that trap when it seems like nothing is going your way, when God is allowing things that you can't possibly understand. One thing after another is happening. Uh, For me, it was like I got stuck on this hamster wheel of of, uh, wallowing in self-pity and victimhood and blaming God for not caring about my problems. I couldn't get off the wheel. Don't you care is such a hurtful question because he cared enough about me to die on a cross for me, for my sins, so that I would not perish eternally. Life doesn't always go how we'd like to, but the bottom line is that no matter how bad things seem to be going, even when we see unspeakable tragedies like what happened yesterday, the answer is not, it is not that Jesus doesn't care. He proved his immeasurable love for us on the cross. And that's what I love so much about this passage. If the disciples could have seen the big picture, the end from the beginning, as Jesus could, they would have seen just how much he cared. Uh, After Jesus rose from the dead and these disciples were looking back on on this incident, the the storm on the sea, uh, I can imagine them thinking, how could we ever have questioned whether Jesus cared? Look what he did for us. He went to the cross. And on the cross, he stretched out his arms like this, and he said, I love you this much. I love you this much. So the reason for our struggles, the reason for tragedies that happened like last night is not, it cannot be that God doesn't love us or he doesn't care. That cannot be the reason. There has to be another reason because God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to die on our behalf. So Jesus hears this question. He sees their fear, uh, and he does two things. Uh, He stops the sea from its squall, and then he rebukes the disciples. So let's look at Jesus' penetrating rebuke. Jesus woke up, and with a word, he calmed the sea. He actually rebuked the sea. He told the sea to be still. Uh, And so uh, that's the same word he used to cast out a demon in Mark 135. So uh, Jesus is using the same word to say, I can cast out demons and I can stop nature. I can make it be still. Uh, Jesus had that power over the supernatural and the natural. And so with the winds calmed down, the the sea uh, now calm, uh, Jesus turned to rebuke his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, that hurts, right? No faith. That's a painful rebuke from Jesus. Uh, I understand that the disciples were afraid, uh, but remember the storm didn't concern Jesus. He was asleep in the stern. When when I'm flying on a plane and there's turbulence, I watch the flight attendant. If she's not concerned, then I'm not going to be concerned. And and they should have had the same attitude uh, toward Jesus. Uh, They should have used his calm as proof that everything was going to be okay. Another reason that they should have been okay is that Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Well, if Jesus says we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. And that, there's no storm that can stop that. Jesus is Lord over demons. He's Lord over storms as well. And so uh, they had already seen Jesus perform miracles and show his care for them uh, in a variety of ways, but still they didn't trust him. And, and then, so he asks this follow-up question, do you still have no faith? You know, that's a hard question, but sometimes Jesus had to show tough love. 
Right? Come on, guys. Remember what you've already seen, what you've already heard. Uh, do you think we've come all this way to die in a shipwreck? No, we are not going to die in a shipwreck. I have a mission to complete, and it's not yet completed. Uh, so don't you worry. We're not going to die today. Uh, I'm in control of this. But it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus asked, uh, do you still have no faith? No faith. You know, no faith is a lot different than a little faith. Jesus said with a little faith, you could tell this mountain to get up and dive into the sea and it would obey you. But no faith is no faith. Jesus uh, in Nazareth uh, could do no miracles there, could do no healings there because of their lack of faith, because they had no faith. So what is faith? What is faith? And why is it so important to have it? We know the biblical definition, right? It comes straight out of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is, faith is the uh, certainty of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, so the certainty of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean, actually? Uh, I think in a word, it means trust. It just means trust. Trust me. Uh, we have to trust God no matter what is going on in our lives. So when it looks like the wind and the waves are going to crush our boat, when we're about to sink to the bottom of the sea, when unspeakable shootings and tragedies happen like that, do we trust God? Do we trust him? The disciples didn't. You know, and sometimes the circumstances of life are so overwhelming that our faith can waver. We can't imagine how God can possibly solve this problem. And so we plead with God to help, and sometimes he doesn't answer immediately. And, and, and we mistake his silence for apathy or powerlessness. That's how I felt in 2014. I'm sure many of you have felt that way when you're going through the trials of life. Uh, You've, you've, you've had a, a, a sick kid, or, or you've lost your job, or, or something has happened that, that's just uh, so difficult, and it makes you question God's goodness. Well, here's where the disciples failed, and here's where I failed uh, in my trying time in 2014. Uh, I forgot that God's past performance is the best indicator of his future performance. God has proven his love, his goodness, to me over and over and over again. Why don't I trust that he will prove it again? Why don't I trust that he's got a reason for this and that I will come out on the other side of it? The disciples looked at the wind and the waves uh, and the, uh, crashing into the boat and they forgot. I looked at financial ruin and career ruin and I forgot. I forgot about God's goodness. We must remember what God has done in the past and what he's done in the, in the past is the best indicator of what he's likely to do in the future, that he's in control of all things and that we can trust him with the future. And so the disciples ask a bad question, don't you care? Uh, Jesus answers with, with two questions of rebuke. Why are you afraid and do you still have no faith? And this causes the disciples to ask a good question. A good question. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, it's interesting the disciples were now very much afraid, right? Isn't that, isn't that something? They were just in fear for their lives only seconds ago. They thought they were going to be at the bottom of the sea in the next minute. And now they became very much afraid. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear that they're experiencing now is no longer a fear of death, but it's a reverence and awe. Who is this that we are in the presence of? Who's in our boat sailing along with us here? 
they, they understood now, or they were beginning to at least understand and recognize that that Jesus was 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 something other, uh, something different, uh, and they they at least had uh, the sense to begin asking the right questions. There was a, an 11th century monk uh, by the name of Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, he was an archbishop and theologian, uh, and he uh, is credited with defining theology as faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding, and isn't that? what we're trying to do, right? In, in our daily lives, in, in this tragedy in Allen, uh, we have faith, but we don't understand, and so we're seeking understanding. But I say this is a good question that the disciples asked. Uh, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Because uh, it shows a kernel of faith, right? They're trying to understand who Jesus was. They're afraid, and so they ask this question, who is this? Uh, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And you know, that's a question we all have to answer. Who is Jesus? Is he just a good man? Uh, is he a, a good teacher? Is he a magician? Is he a miracle worker? Uh, or is he God? And if he's God, we must follow him, uh, whether we understand what he's doing or not. When, when, when things like last night happen, and there are no answers to these questions, we have to trust him. We have to follow him anyway. Uh, if he's not God, we just ignore him, right? If he's not God, we just ignore him. But if he is God, then everything he says and everything he commands us is our charge, and we are obligated to obey. And so Jesus proved who he was to his disciples uh, during his ministry by the many miracles that he performed and by his sinless life. And if there were any doubts, he erased all those doubts after he was crucified, dead, and buried, and then rose from the dead. And the disciples wrote down everything that happened so that we might believe. And so the question is, do we? Do we believe? And if we do, uh, do we prove it by, uh, by living for his glory? Are we living for his glory? You know, in 2014, I never lost faith, but I was wavering. I was tottering. Uh, it, was a, it was a very difficult time. And I remember uh, during the in, in the middle of it, during the worst of it, one, one Sunday afternoon uh, or Sunday morning, uh, Molly and I were at Stonebriar Community Church and Steve Farrar preached a message from Psalm 71. Uh, and he finished this psalm uh, by quoting from verses 19 and 20, uh, which say, For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. You have shown me many trouble, or you who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. You will revive me again. I can barely say the words uh, without breaking down. Molly and I looked at each other uh, in church that morning, and we, we fell into each other's arms, crying right there uh, in the church service with 2,000 people watching. It was, it was a tough time, but things began to turn around uh, later in 2015. Uh, I got a job in Dallas as a contract attorney. Uh, I was making a few bucks, and I had purpose again, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, and uh, we began to at least uh, pay uh, some of our bills. God worked on my other problems, too. Uh, the powers uh, that be at seminary reviewed my case and decided that uh, my uh, misciting of sources was not intentional or egregious. Uh, the professor gave me a passing grade, and I was permitted to graduate on time. Uh, 
Uh, we settled that case that I botched, and so that problem went away. Uh, and in December of 2016, we finally paid uh, the very last debts of the law firm, and we were able to, to close the law firm. And I just can't tell you what a relief that was. That was December 2016. In January 2017, I answered an ad for a pastor uh, from Grace Redeemer Community Church. And uh, I just praise the Lord often for leading me out of darkness. Amen. <laughs> God has been very, very good to us. Thank you. I love you too. That's a tough message. In retrospect, in retrospect, I know that God used all of these things to teach me lessons that I would need to fulfill his calling on my life. I need to understand my weakness. I always was proud and thought I was such a strong person. And, and I realized after that, I can do nothing without him. Absolutely nothing. I also learned that I needed more compassion, more empathy, for other people. You know, as a lawyer, I solved financial problems. You know, it's a, it's a financial transaction. Uh, there's no spiritual or emotional involvement in such, uh, such work. But as pastor of a church, I am emotionally and spiritually invested in every one of your lives. I, I care deeply about what happens to you and your families. Uh, that, that is an emotional connection that I was not equipped uh, to have before uh, this, this, all that happened to us in 2014. So God used it all to bring me to my knees and to rely on him alone and to strengthen my face, faith and to prepare me for the ministry that he had for me. Uh, so just like he used the wind and the waves to, to help the disciples, to, to build their faith and to prepare them for the ministry that he had for them, and most of all, I needed to know that God does care. You know, sometimes faith not tested is not real faith. And so it was a real building block in the wall of my faith to see how God could bring us through those difficult times in 2014. So, so how is God using the circumstances in your life right now to get you to ask the right questions, to get you to seek more desperately after him and to prepare you for what's ahead. That's what he wants us to do with our trying times and with our circumstances. So uh, just think about those couple of questions as we, as we wrap this up with a few applications. Uh, the first thing that, that I would say is, is that we need to, to choose faith over fear. We need to choose faith over fear. You know, when the walls are caving in, uh, when, when the waves are filling the boat, now, that's not the time to run from Jesus. That's the time to draw nearer to Jesus. Uh, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He has a plan for us. Uh, uh, he doesn't tell us what it is, but he calls us to trust him and not fear the circumstances. And if we know that God is good, and he is, and if we know that God is sovereign, and he is, then we have nothing to fear. Uh, just trust and obey. 
That's hard when the walls are caving in. That's hard when you're going through the trials of life. Uh, but we have to learn to keep our eyes on him and not on the wind and the waves. So choose faith over fear. Now, the next thing is that, is that trials build faith. And so we need to allow our trials to build faith. Sometimes we don't see what God is teaching us when we're in the middle of some crisis or hardship that we're going through. We may not ever see it, but, but sometimes we do see it when we're on the other side of it. Each trial that we undergo is a building block of our faith. This squall in the sea was another building block in the disciples' faith uh, that he was building. Now, now, this wall was far from complete after this incident, right? Uh, but at least it got the disciples asking the right questions. It was another brick in the wall for them. And eventually the disciples understood after Jesus uh, died for their sins and rose from the dead and then in faith went out and preached the good news everywhere until they were killed for their faith. So Jesus did exactly what he intended. He took them from no faith to growing faith, to mature faith, a faith that is willing to actually die uh, to preach this gospel message. That's what Jesus did for them. Uh, God allows the squalls uh, in our lives for the same reason, to add a brick of, in the wall of our faith. And each time he brings us through a crisis, that's another brick in the wall of our faith that will not uh, be knocked down by wind and waves. And so we learn to trust God in the next trial because we've seen how many trials he's brought us through already. And our wall of faith is now stronger because it's made full of bricks uh, of God's goodness where he's, he's built this wall of faith in our lives. And so this is why James calls us to consider it pure joy when we undergo trials of many kinds, right? That, that sounds so counterintuitive. But the, the, the joy is not in the suffering, right? The joy is in the lesson learned. It's in the brick that's been added to our wall of faith. That's where the joy is. It's in the faith that results. So allow uh, these trials to build your faith. And then, and then finally, uh, use your trials to minister to others. Uh, don't waste your, your, your trials is another way to say that. You know, you've all experienced pain and loss. God wants to build your faith through it. He wants to build your faith through it, but he also wants to share what you have learned with others because you are uniquely qualified to minister to somebody in some situation because only you have your own set of life experiences. Uh, have you been addicted to alcohol and drugs in your life? Uh, have you been addicted to internet pornography? Uh, are you a cancer survivor? Have you gone through infertility? Have you lost a young one at a young age or somebody you loved when you were young? Have you had times where you didn't know how you were going to pay the rent or put food on the table? No one else has your particular set of circumstances and experiences. So look for opportunities to share those lessons with other people. Minister to them uh, using the experiences that you have and make disciples. We serve an awesome God, brothers and sisters. Uh, we may question him at times, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a big, strong God. Uh, he can handle your questions and mine. So grieve and mourn and, and ask the hard questions. But let's not accuse God saying, Lord, don't you care? Let's never say, Lord, don't you care? How else could he have proved his love for us other than sending his son to die on a cross for our sins? Amen? Lord God, uh, we, we all go through trials of many kinds. My trials are not unique to me, uh, or they are unique to me, but, but uh, uh, everybody goes through trials, Lord. And as we 
as we think about uh, the tragedy in Allen and we think about the tragedies in our own lives, Lord, uh, the takeaway from today's message is, Lord, you do care. You absolutely care. Uh, so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't know what's going on, even when we can't see our way out of a difficulty or a hardship or a circumstance, Lord, you do care. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your graciousness, for your mercy, uh, Lord, for salvation, for your son Jesus, for everything you've done. Now, Lord, we give you all praise, glory, and honor, and I thank you in Christ's precious name. Amen.